Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The University of Colorado Buffaloes knocked off the Duke Blue Devils in Cameron Indoor Stadium to reach the Sweet 16 for the first time in 20 years. As part of the NCAA Women's Championship bracket, the Buffs pushed them to overtime, score, outscored Duke 11-7 to in, the, in a very tight fourth quarter, and then disassembled them in overtime. 11-3 to Duke, Sandy scored no points from the field in that overtime period. Joining us now to talk about it is our reporter from Miley Sports covering all things CU, Zach Seegers. Zach, thanks for joining us. Uh, this this game for the Buffaloes was not one they were expected to win. Duke was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. The Buffs had, a, uh, had it start to feel like it was slipping away in the third, and then really from the fourth quarter on, I mean, it's just that simple. From the fourth quarter in the overtime period, they outscored Duke 22-10. to 10. Uh, what did you think about this performance, and what does it mean going forward? I mean, you you encapsulated it pretty well. It was it was even a little more dramatic. They opened the game on that fifteen two run, and then they closed it on. If you combine, you know, the end of fourth quarter and overtime, they closed it on a fifteen to three run. Yeah. Um, outside of those two pockets, Duke outscored them uh, fifty to thirty one, or, or no, sorry, uh, a little less than that, uh, forty eight to thirty one. But And it felt that way. CU opened up this massive lead to start out, and then Duke just slowly nibbled away at it. Uh, CU's size was dominant early on. They were able to get whatever they wanted in the paint. Um, but Duke's a well-coached team. They quickly adjusted, um, and their all-guard lineup uh, uh, started being very quick to rotate into double teams and made it hard for Quay Miller and Aaronette Vonley to eat in the paint for uh, CU. And you saw Duke just slowly start reeling a minute. It felt like uh, uh, in a horror movie, like Halloween or something, where you know Michael Myers is coming and he's just slowly walking up the stairs and there's nothing you can do to stop him and, and you, your demise is slowly coming. Um, and, and at the end of the third quarter, Duke took the lead back. It seemed like CU would uh, uh, be done for. And as you described, they got back off the mat. Their big started uh, connecting on shots again. And Jalen Sherrod, the team's MVP, uh, just took over the game at the end, made several tough uh, uh, buckets over larger defenders in the paint, um, created an end-one opportunity for herself, found open players for big shots. Um, it, it was just a remarkable performance by uh, the Buffaloes in a, in a defensive slugfest. Zach, isn't uh, Jalen Sherrod the player that no one else seemingly wanted very much and spoke to that on the post-game interview uh, last night that uh, CU believed in her when virtually no other top-flight program around the country did? Yeah, no no Power 5 team offered her outside of CU, and I think she perfectly encapsulates uh, what this Colorado Buffalo team is. They are gritty. They are defense. They are motor um tenacity toughness all those things uh, uh they're underrated she comes from being this unheralded recruit to again being the team mvp on a team that's headed to the sweet 16 and she deserves that honor um she a little reminiscent of ty lawson just lightning quick play um but she's a lot better on defense than ty lawson ever was um uh really impactful they're just an absolute pest and then, you know, knows how to set her teammates up well. And when the Buffaloes need a bucket, when it's late and in crunch time, um, as talented as Aaronette Vonley and Quay Miller are, 
Um, CU's two bigs. They're looking to uh, Jalen Sherrod to put the game on her back and go get a bucket. And more often than not, she's been able to go get that bucket. Good performances. You brought up Quay Miller, of course, who got mm-hmm. those uh, terrific, no, 17 points and 14 boards in what is a really impressive 44 minutes, an absolute rock down low, a terrific work there. And then then you get the sort of the combo punch. Frida Foreman, the Dutch-born guard, uh, as junior out, out there, that had a really interesting sort of game. She only shot three for 11. But watching, especially in that second half, she seemed more impactful than that. She was sort of always around the ball, diving for loose balls. At one point, you know, it seemed like she might have gotten hurt, kind of got back up for that, and then ends up making some some clutch shots at the end. So that there seems to be enough depth and variation of talent here that I, I know there are people that look outside and say that's something of a fluke. I'm not sure they're entirely done. They seem to maybe have the goods. And in, in J.R. Payne, their head coach, there's certainly a coach that this team is not only confident being coached by, but is happy being coached by. Totally. And, and J.R. Payne deserves so much credit um, to what she's created here. Uh, and I agree. I don't think they're done. I would not be surprised if they upset Iowa now and make it to the Elite Eight. You look at Iowa's a team where – they rely very heavily on Caitlin Clark and even still, and Caitlin Clark's an absolute menace, but even still, <laughs> sometimes it's not enough. She's had performances where she scores 35 points and Iowa still loses, right. um, which is just unreal. Uh, uh, CU has the defensive approach. They remind me a lot of, and again, highlighting J.R. Payne, highlighting, you talked about Frida Foreman, who's kind of their three and D star. Um, uh, what this CU team is, is kind of what um, the basketball insider or how the basketball insiders viewed the Warriors teams. Uh, obviously, there was the three-point shooting that everyone else saw. But if you asked NBA analysts during that first run prior to KD coming over, it was about the numbers, how, how deep they were as a team, and their defensive tenacity, how plugged in they were on defense. And that's what this team is. They've got the numbers and they've got – unbelievable defensive buy-in where everyone is going a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Um, if you go up against a team like Iowa with Caitlin Clark, they'll have the uh, uh, bodies to pester Caitlin Clark to throw her off her game. And if Caitlin Clark has a bad performance, Iowa is going to fall. Um, so I, I don't think they're done yet. I think they can go a lot further and the, the character um, the personality that um, J.R. Payne has infused this squad with is really remarkable. Win or lose, though, on Friday in Seattle against Iowa, this will be a team that is always remembered because six previous teams got to the Sweet 16, but they all did it through wins in Boulder. To go into a legendary place like Cameron Indoor Stadium and win a game, that's historic. 50 years from now, people will be talking about this game. Fully agree. It, it was a huge one for the program. And outside of the Seal Barry era, CU Hoops, men or women, does not have a lot of pedigree. You, you mentioned those six uh, Sweet 16 appearances. That came in the span of 23 seasons of Seal Barry. Right. The, that was the Seal Barry era. Exactly. In the 123 other seasons of CU basketball, men or women, it's combining the two. Uh, zero Sweet 16 appearances until now. Um, so it's a huge landmark moment for the university. Um, 
uh, they're going to be enshrined forever in the rafters. That's an incredible accomplishment. And doing it against Duke. Now, the women's team doesn't quite have the same pedigree as the men's no. team. Um, but they're, in 2018, they made a good run uh, at the national championship. They weren't ultimately successful, but they had a good chance at it. Um, they have unbelievable uh, uh, length and talent, and they also play a really unique style, and that's why they've been such a hard out for so many teams. They play a full-court press all 40 minutes, and they play in all-guard lineup, this weird, lanky, all-tall, big guard lineup, and it gives teams a lot of trouble. It gave the Buffs a lot of trouble on offense. They scored 50 points in regulation, um, but they out-gridded and out-toughed the tough, gritty defensive team. And yeah, like you said, for that reason alone, it's going to go down in the record books in, in Colorado Buffalo history. One of the best basketball games played by either men or women in the university's history. The men, of course, and we're talking to Zach Seegers from uh, Mile High Sports. Make sure you check him out at Zach underscore Seegers. That's S-E-G-A-R-S on Twitter. Uh, the men get bounced from the NIT in unceremonious fashion, leading to Utah, uh, losing to Utah Valley, and it's quite possible that you might be listening to this going that's a school yes and they knocked off the buffs but they, they didn't at least face plant at the beginning of uh, the the nit and the program of course is looking up because of the three of the espn top 150 recruits that will be coming to boulder it feels like look we might have a, a really interesting moment here for university of colorado basketball men's and women's that's starting to build yeah, really exciting stuff on the women's front, but the men, they might rock it past them next year. Uh, uh, they're only losing two players, and although this past run was kind of disappointing, you have to remember they were down their second-best player, K.J. Simpson, for yes. the end of this run, uh, second-team uh, All-Pac-12 player, and Javon Hadley, who w- would have made a push for second-team All-Pac-12 if he played the final month of, month of the season. He was the team's uh, leading rebounder and, and kind of a defensive ace for them. Right. I mean, they could have used him against Utah Valley as Utah Valley shot uh, 62% <laughs> from the field in the second half. It was right. absolutely disgusting. Um uh, yeah, it, it, things are looking up. You're only losing two guys. They're your, I think, eighth and ninth guy off the bench. It's tough with all the injuries, how it shakes out. You're losing your eighth, or ni- eighth and ninth guy off the bench. One of them is a sharp shooter who didn't have his shot falling all season until the NIT tournament. Um, so th- th- that one shouldn't hurt the regular season win-loss count much. Um, and then you're also losing a, a pretty solid defensive guard. But bringing in Cody Williams, bringing in another huh. seven-foot big that's highly regarded in this upcoming recruiting class. Cody Williams, for those that don't know, is uh, rated by some services as the number one recruit in this entire class. Oh, he's yeah. a five-star guy, right? ESPN has him at six, but you're right. Depending on where you go, there's you know rivals 24-7. Yeah, it's as high as one. I mean, he's, yep. he's at, put it this way, he's as good a prospect as anyone in the country. And you also get a son job from Westminster, who right. by everybody's regards is at least in the top 60 at worst. Yes, you're, you're getting, uh, I think there's three uh, really uh, touted recruits in this class that you'll be uh, infusing. There's actually one scholarship over, so they will have to make some sort of cut. But that's a good problem for Tad Boyle's squad to have. Um, you've still got Lovering, who was this highly re- uh, touted recruit from a couple years ago. He's developed a ton on the defensive end, this seven-foot center. Um, but the offensive game just hasn't been there. Uh, had his best offensive game of his career against Utah Valley State. So, 21 and 7, right? 
yeah, 21 and seven and, and on very efficient shooting splits too. So he did the same thing to USC, which obviously has a lot more talent and uh, Utah Valley state has their own seven footer and, and he's a little thicker than Lawson and Lovering. So it's not just that <laughs> Lovering was beating up on some small school guys. Uh, there's the flashes of his potential there still, but the bus will need him to take a leap outside of that. They're getting everyone back, all of their major contributors, uh, because of the injuries, they had guys like Julian Hammond, who were unheralded, step up and, and look like borderline stars in their own right. Those guys will now be coming off the bench for the bus next year. Um, th- if they're not contending for the Pac-12 title next year, and, you know, a, a men's team has never made a Sweet 16. If they're not pushing for the Sweet 16, if they're not pushing for a Pac-12 title, it'll be a pretty tremendous disappointment. This team has the talent. Zach Sandy, I've been looking right here at the 24-7 sports rankings for the recruiting this year. I'm just going to roll off teams 13 through 20. See if you can find a common denominator. 13 is Xavier. 14 is Alabama. 15 is UCLA. 16, Maryland. 17, Tennessee. 18, Houston. 19, the University of Colorado. 20, Kansas State. Correct me if I'm wrong, but every single team but Colorado is in the tournament, and every single team of those, except Maryland, is in the Sweet 16. <laughs> That's the kind of recruiting class Ted Boyle just pulled in. Right. And most of those guys won't be returning the same amount of talent that Colorado has. Tristan Silva, the first-team All-Pac-12 guy, <laughs> uh, for about a month of the season, was dropping uh, 20 every single night, 20-plus every single night, um, and is going to be coming back. And now, not only is he coming back, he's probably your second-best forward. Like, <laughs> right. it's, it's a crazy mm-hmm. glut of riches they have. Uh, you've got KJ Ham, uh, uh, or sorry, KJ Simpson and Julian Hammond now, uh, two really promising point guards that can score and set guys up. Um, you've got a bunch of giant six, seven uh, guards. That's the other thing. They'll have a normal sized point guard, Clifford and O'Brien, uh, you know, are are glue players. You know, they're uh, tough guys, good guys. rebounders, and they're big. Yeah, that team sure. lineup is going to be six, seven up yeah. from two through five. Right. That's crazy. That's right. going to, that length is going to be a nightmare in the tournament. I, I, I agree. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I have not asked Tad Boyle about this specifically, but he's made reference to it a time or two. Uh, the Buffs were expecting to have Jabari Walker uh, this year, and it was a surprise when he left. And he would have been an ideal bridge player to this recruiting class. Uh, could have been a 20 and 10 guy. And uh, for reasons that I was never quite clear on, uh, chose to uh, enter the NBA draft, was drafted 57th overall late in the second round, uh, plays three or four minutes a game for the Portland Trailblazers, a bad team out of playoff contention right now, and would have had a much better chance to develop uh, maybe averaging 20 points and 10 rebounds a game this year for Colorado. And I think Tad Boyle was counting on that. And if Jabari Walker had played for Colorado this year, I, I think they might well have made the tournament. I, I think you're right. They definitely would have made some more noise. They lost a lot of games close. And you look at UCLA, a team that, you know, obviously they're beat up now, but was picked by many to win the whole thing, have been a powerhouse all year long. Uh, when the Buffaloes played them, and again, this is down their second best player and their third best player. Um, when they played them in the Pac-12 tournament, they took them down to the wire. And when they played them at the end of the regular season, 
um, I believe, in Los Angeles. No, it wasn't Boulder. Um, it wasn't Boulder. I saw the game. Yeah. 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 And uh, they lost by four without De Silva, who sprained his ankle in the last five minutes. And they were leading uh, it, during that stretch at the end of the game. And they were up nine with 10 minutes to go at Pauley Pavilion. So, uh, it, it, yes, they went 0-3 against UCLA, but they could have won, maybe even should have won at least one of those three games. Fully agree. The, the talent's there with this squad. And you add, and that's the idea with Cody Williams. Cody Williams, I, I think, projects as a, a four. You can be a little versatile with him, but I, I think he's probably a four for the Buffaloes next year. You would have plugged right into that Jabari Parker spot. You can kind of... What this team looks like next year with Cody Williams isn't that different um, from what they would have looked like this past season with uh, uh, Walker, probably. Yes, and I think I that's agree. why I you agree. have to be so excited about what could be to come there. You, uh, actually, the bonus is now they'll have a little more development, a little more seasoning outside of that uh, uh, spot in the lineup. That's true. Good point. I want to talk to, uh, we're talking to Zach Seegers from Mile High Sports, uh, Zach underscore Seegers on Twitter. Uh, Saturday, April 22nd, the Coto Buffaloes are going to be on ESPN when their spring game is going to be covered. That's interesting enough because I will make the argument, and look, I'm a buff. I think they were the worst Power 5 school in America last year. Worst. Dead last. And here they are, not only headlining the national tension when you're talking about it, but bumping Georgia to ESPN2, they have won the last two national championships. The the <laughs> idea about Deion Sanders impacting that there are almost not enough superlatives to properly explain how immediate the visibility for the University of Colorado and the perception of it has increased as he's walked through the doors up in Boulder. Yeah, he's worth the contract. He's paid for himself already. He hasn't even coached a game. He won't coach one for months. It's a crazy thing. I like Mel Tucker. I think everyone agreed was a slam dunk hire, and obviously it ended bad. But everyone was raving about it for a few years, and it never reached heights like this. See, he left right because he thought he maxed out what he could do at CU. And so he went to Michigan State. Yes. In fact, you're you're exactly right. He told close friends when he took the job that the first good season he had in Boulder was going to be his last season in Boulder, that he wasn't going to make the mistake that his predecessor, McIntyre, had made in staying after that one great year. As it turned out, Mel Tucker didn't even wait or didn't need to wait for that one great year because they threw all kinds of money at him at Michigan State. Exactly. And so he goes there thinking, well, I, I have to raise my ceiling for recruiting. CU just had a better recruiting class than Michigan State. Like, that's, that's nuts. That's crazy to think about, just proving that Deion Sanders is the ultimate ceiling raiser. I, I don't – he's one of a kind. I don't think Colorado will ever hire a coach that has – an individual impact that's this great because obviously it's helping out the football program. You look at the talent they have at quarterback now in the defensive backfield, even what they've added along the offensive line at wide receiver. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, all the talent they've got. Um, but that's also impacting the university as a whole and the athletic department as a whole. Uh, we're talking about the basketball and the basketball teams right now on, on both sides. 
as that's getting covered on ESPN this morning and on, you know, different sports talk radio shows, there's high school athletes paying attention. And they're like, oh, see you. Like, it's not the, the punchline. It it, it, be. It's become instantly cool. And, and give Deion like Sanders credit. Right. Give him credit. I mean, when they started on Sunday, spring practice, he's on the field in cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. The players are going out in blank jerseys because Sanders told the team, if you want a number, you have to earn it. The The reboot is remarkable. I mean, some of it is a little bit strange. And look, uh, the X's and O's is not really what Deion Sanders does. He is more of a CEO-style coach, and that's worked. Funny thing is, I think that's actually the model for a modern top-tier university program, and on little things. Uh, you have to be running from drill to drill on the field. No walking. If if you're running, and I actually, I love this. If you're running one of those drills and you're the quarterback and you're throwing to a receiver and there's no defender covering, if you miss the receiver, the quarterback has to go run and pick it up. Those, it. those things are not, in my opinion, abusive. They are focus on your job, and if you make a mistake, you're responsible for solving it. And I think that kind of accountability will rapidly translate to a rebirth of a program because when you talk about the, the culture of a football program and when you talk about the great universities, whether it's basketball, football, what have you, they have a culture. Colorado had none to speak of. Blank slate. And it's time to whatever reference you like, shake the edge sketch, take the Nintendo cartridge and blow on it, put it back in, hit the reboot button, whatever you want. What Sanders is doing is exactly that. He's starting, not worried so much about the football. He's worried about the culture and making sure his athletes want to be part of something. And see who hasn't seen that for a very long time. Absolutely. Look at like the team was lacking in talent last year. They were also horribly undisciplined. Yeah, and that's what all this stuff is. He also threw a player out of practice for jumping outside. Like that's a discipline point. You have to be disciplined. Uh, discipline and abuse are not synonyms. If anything, they're antonyms. But a lot of bad coaches, I think, have a tendency to conflate the two. Dion is not making that mistake. He's not taking pot shots at players. I don't think he's at any point during this thing done anything that's particularly unfair. But he's been honest. I think you go back to, and, and there's been a lot of discipline. You go back to that first uh, uh, viral moment with the, I'm bringing my own uh, luggage and it's Louie. But just being honest to these guys, hey, we're going to be gobbling up some scholarships. There might not be room for you. If you want an honest self-evaluation and you look at yourself and you go, I don't think I'm one of the top 90 dudes here, you know, maybe you should transfer to some place where you're one of the top 90. It's it's a harsh message, but it's not an abusive one. It's it's a disciplined one, and I, I think that is his ethos. And you talk, he's not an X's and O's guy, but he's understanding of that. And that's the most important thing. Is it, don't be Nathaniel Hackett, where maybe you're not the X's and O's guy and you really want to be. You know, bring in Sean Lewis, who uh, uh, has led one of the – college football top offense right. for the past few of course. years to captain right. your offense. Bring in Nick Saban's right-hand man to captain your defense. Absolutely. That's, that's good thinking. Absolutely. He is Zach Seegers. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Zach underscore Seegers. That's S-E-G-A-R-S. And check out everything putting together at My Life Sports. All CUs. You can tell he's got it all covered. So make sure you check it all out. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. 
Thank you guys for having me on. Have a great one, and glad to have you back on there. All right, thanks, Zach. It's good to talk to you. But of course, you know, check out milesports.com. And remember, by the way, you don't need to find a pot of gold to strike it rich this March. Instead, you can win money on your tournament wagers with Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best team of odds makers in the business, so they're the safe bet when it comes to sports gambling. You have a direct line to their experienced staff behind the counter in Las Vegas, so they also have one of the most extensive betting menus around, as you can imagine. So no matter what you want to wager on come tournament time, Superbook's sure to have it. Download the Superbook app and start winning Today, visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be back with more next on Milo Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The number Broncos free agency period is, well, what, free agency period for all intents purposes is over. There are free agents that are unsigned, but most teams have spent most of their money, and now guys are just going to kind of have to go where there's a fit or there's a bargain, and that's just where it goes. So over at ESPN.com, they grabbed their top writers, and they asked which team had the best free agency period. Now, there were multiple folks that said the Miami Dolphins. There were multiple folks that said the Cleveland Browns. There was a vote for the Panthers, a vote for the Patriots, a vote for the Cowboys, a vote for the Bears. Yeah. That would it, the Bears would get my vote. And the Bears got a, a Bears got a couple as well. The Jets got one with the presumption that was Seth with Wickersham, who was making the presumption that the trade will eventually get done. And Mike Tannenbaum picked the Denver Broncos. And while noted that having uh, Garrett Bowles and Javante Williams, if they can return from injury, would also go a long way. Garrett Bowles should be. Javante Williams. Don't count on it. We've gone over that before. Yes, and don't listen to George Payton who's talking about how Javante Williams is going to be ready for the opener. Oh, my goodness. Please. Week 10 would be a surprise for me. Honestly. I mean, I, I, I think that's really what you're talking about. But here's what Tannenbaum said. When you factor in the hiring of Coach Sean Payton and the signings of guard Ben Powers and offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey, this sets up the best-case scenario for any hope of success for quarterback Russell Wilson. That seems like well said. Well said. Damning with faint praise, Sandy. Well, <laughs> I I I think it is, and I don't necessarily agree with him uh, that the Broncos won free agency in 2023. Not that it makes all that much difference one way or the other. You don't win the Super Bowl. You, you don't even make the playoffs in March. Uh, you, you can start building or rebuilding through the draft, but that comes later. But I think he puts it very well that between the coach and some of these acquisitions, if there's any chance for Russell Wilson to get back to anything that remotely resembles success, they are giving him that opportunity. And I mean, that's what and you're trying to do. doing as much as they can do yeah. in the space of one offseason to give him that chance. 
that's all you can really do in free agency. You, you know, you don't win the Super Bowl in free agency. In fact, the truth is, uh, there is very little correlation over the last ten years of teams that go out and quote unquote win free agency, right. and it has a direct impact with the results on the field. Because here's the thing: for the most part, the big spenders in free agency are not the teams that are really close to a championship. They're the teams that have drafted poorly and have to fill holes. Exactly. And the number Broncos fall into that category, I'm afraid. Remember when uh, the Washington uh, football team right. would year in and year out make the biggest splash in March in free agency? They'd win the press conferences. They'd win in free agency. And they'd lose once the season began because they hardly ever drafted very well and they had an owner who is now from what i understand not even living in the continental united states uh, yeah for a while at least uh, trying to for, remember part of the not too long ago just living on a yacht yes. in a sort of a temporary cruise that just happened to be in international waters I, it, yes. <laughs> well, that's like a james bond villain stuff I, <laughs> it really <laughs> is um <laughs> Wasn't the report the other day that Magic Johnson is involved in uh, making uh, a bid for if there the is Washington a, Commodores? Yeah, if there's a sports team to be purchased, Magic Johnson would like it. Yes. Remember, even from time but being briefly uh, bandied about his potential part yeah. of the ownership group with the That's Denver right. Broncos as well. So right. uh, not a surprise if you know if there's a sports team that you know, Magic would like to own part They've of it. They've got to sell. And, yes. and, you know, I, I suppose I, you I can't. Think- for if you're the commissioner or even the, the other road. owners, you can't force somebody to sell. But didn't they do that with the late Jerry Richardson a few yeah. years ago in Carolina? Yeah. They basically all but forced him to sell the team. I think why they can't do that with Daniel Snyder is beyond me. I'm not sure why they can't, but I but I do think the die is cast. I think they will be sold. I think there's enough money there. I think there's enough people in Snyder's ear, probably other other owners and the league saying, hey, you know this. You saw what the Broncos got. Your team's worth even more. Maybe just time to pull the ripcord and get out before things get really, really unpleasant. Uh, I, I think that I think that's happening. It's now not a matter of of if; it's a matter of when. And I, I think that that's something that a couple of these little little things blocking the road come loose, and this could happen rather quickly. And now, all of a sudden, we're talking about uh, bids in the six billion dollar plus range. For Washington, and I, and I think I quite frankly expect that to happen quite possibly before the season even starts. He's alienated everyone. He's alienated other owners. He's alienated the commissioner, who is about again get, about reportedly a new deal. in the process of negotiating a new deal. So I don't know. Maybe that deal is based on getting rid of Daniel Snyder, or <laughs> exerting whatever influence he has in making that happen. But it's. It's the city. They get. They can't get a new stadium built because no one, whether it's Washington D.C. or uh, Northern Virginia, not, nobody wants to work with this guy. No, no, nobody at all. I mean, so they're a, stuck in that dump they play in now. It's uh, it's it's a strange situation, and uh, you know, I, I think it it will come to an end. But it is it is odd. You know, over the weekend, uh, the reports are that, that most of his personal office has been cleared out right. at the team facility already. Uh, and here's here's how you kind of figured out of how how things are are going and why I think it, it's it's happening. But uh, Deron Payne got that four four year ninety million dollar contract, right? But they had 
along with Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Wiley, had clauses in their contracts. They don't get the first payment of their signing bonuses until May 12th. Weird, right? And it appears, at least from a former front office employee who talked uh, to The Athletic about it, said, quote, relative to their prior contract precedents, it would seem that they've intentionally delayed the first installment of their signing bonuses. Very plausible it's related to the timeline of a sale. The payout dates are fairly telling. In other words, he's he's gotten so cheap about it that he's going to make sure that not only am I going to sell it, but I'm going to make sure the next owner is the guy that's going to have to pay the bills. I mean, that's what you're talking about. It's, it's so bizarre. And... The yearly owner, the owners' meetings start. What's that? Fifty-two days, so that's seven and a half weeks. From yeah, now. the yearly, the, the the new owners' meeting is March twenty-sixth. Now, that would be the earliest that it, now who who knows that would be the earliest a sale could be voted on because that's the first time they're together. I mean, are they that far down the road in the sale in the in the bidding process? I don't know. We're not close to it like we were with the Broncos situation in Denver. It's not impossible, however. If Snyder's cleared out his stuff, if he set some weird dates on payments, you know, maybe this gets done as soon as next week. It just comes out of the, just gets dropped out of the blue, like a Taylor Swift single. Just bam, here we go, new owners. Which happens first? The uh, Washington, D.C. guy selling or the uh, Florida guy getting indicted? Because, by the way, from what I heard There's a lot of Florida today, guys getting the, indicted. The, You'll the, have to be more the Florida, specific. The, the Florida guy, as the, the, the New York Post uh, turned him uh, a few weeks back. Uh, there, there was one, from what I understand, I did not see this, but I read the reports. There was one uh, supporter of the Florida guy in downtown Denver today, uh, creating all kinds of havoc. That, uh, of course, and I felt bad for him. Actually, I thought maybe after the show, the two of us could go downtown if he's still there and join him just to give him some company. <laughs> this is the massive protest that's the, uh, going to follow the uh, indictment of the, the Snyder. The Snyder situation, if this happens that quickly, if this really means like next week, there's a new ownership group. Right. I, I mean, that has to be good for the end. They're at the point. Like, this has to happen NFL. now, right? Just get right. him. Just get, get him out. Over. Yeah. Get it. Over. Get him out. Done. Of Get him out. That's that's probably the best thing that could happen. And may, maybe it really is going to happen and he'll go and, you know, live on a yacht somewhere. And I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. Obviously, you know, he's, the amount of money that he's going to get for this sale is just remarkable. And it, it is a shame to a certain extent. I, I don't like it in other people's pocketbooks, but I also don't like it when guys that just don't deserve it get it. The truth of the matter is, you know, Snyder doesn't deserve what he's going to get for this. And uh, sometimes the bad guys win. <laughs> it's just the way it goes, unfortunately. I think that's probably likely to happen with Dan Snyder. But always go down as a loser. One of the great ownership right. losers of all time. Of, of one of the best supported franchises in the Absolutely. NFL. A crown jewel franchise. A- absolutely. Uh, that was run into the ground. Ago, 30 years ago, 1993, it was a crown jewel Basically, franchise. Basically, you go look at the career look of Pat Bowen's ownership, one. and you look at Dan Snyder's ownership, it's like the absolute reverse. Well, <laughs> the here's, here's what happens, and like, I think the NFL did learn from this. When you bring in an owner in his early 30s just because he has a lot of money, you bring in someone that young just because he has more money than just about anybody else. And I don't believe you'll ever again see an NFL ownership entity 
headed up by somebody under the age of 40. It will never happen again. Well, uh, brand new news about the World Baseball Classic already just announced that it will be returning in 2026, despite Edwin Diaz's injury. The final is tonight, and it is a doozy. We're going to look at it next on Milo Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. The World Baseball Classic completes itself tonight when you're talking about the final between the United States and Japan after a rousing Walk-off win by Japan over Mexico. Wonderful game. Terrific, terrific game. Uh, you if know, that's the seventh game of the World Series, they, they, they're talking about legendary. it like they still talk about the 75-game yeah. seven between uh, the Big Red Machine and the Boston Red Sox. I understand that, uh, you know, given that the injury to Edwin Diaz and the Mets, the, the terrific closer and such a magnetic personality gets hurt in an oddball well, sort of fluke in a celebration. What? And I'm a Mets fan of sorts, but Edwin Diaz could have gotten hurt at any time. They, they put all kinds of restrictions on, on pitchers. He got hurt. It's too bad. Uh, yeah, it's a blow to the Mets, but he could have gotten hurt on opening day. You the, know, they, they what, what, on starters, it's five innings? Yeah, it, it ramped. It, it was pitches, and it ramped up pitches, a little bit more every right, round. Right, right. But, but the use of relief pitchers is restricted. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the funny story was how Wainwright got off to a tough start the other day, and Andy Pettit, who's the USA yeah. pitching coach, comes out to the mound, and uh, Wainwright pretty much knows that they can't pull him because it's too early in the game, and they, they have all these restrictions. And he's got to give them four – for at least four innings. Right. And, and he, of course, settles down. Great veteran that he is. And he said Pettit um, said exactly the right things to him. And he settled down and just uh, went on and uh, won the game. And all's well that ends well. It's also sort of further proof with baseball bringing in a lot of uh, adjustments and rules and changes and things like that th- this year. And, and always, you know, there are a couple of the folks that are traditionalists to get all upset about it and then it melts away you know is anyone still complaining about the intentional walk anymore no the uh in in it's kind of interesting I, I, to see how i don't how, like the so-called ghost runner I, I i'm still opposed to that but i am very much in favor of most all the other changes i'm okay with banning the shift made over the last two i or think three the years. larger bases are going to be good i i personally have been yeah. in favor of a pitch clock and, and here's one of the things it's oh not, yeah yeah I, a, I mean that's fine yeah. and players will adjust over time and max scherzer's already coming up with all sorts of crazy ways to beat it but i mean when you talk about the situation with wainwright that's where i think we realize that baseball is pliable you have these restrictions on the pitchers you know what it, all it did is the extra strategy levels that it added created more drama and that's why this is a more pliable and durable sport than I think so many people that want to position themselves as protectors of it really, truly understand. Baseball has undergone so many changes over the course of its career and its history over 140 years. And, and there are things that you add to it. And in Diaz's case, remember, he got injured celebrating. 
You can step out of the shower and slip and get injured. Exactly. I mean, that, you, you hear of all kinds of it's fluke not a, injuries. It's not a baseball injury. Oh. He got injured uh, at he, a baseball was, game, but right. it's not a baseball injury. Could have been in the stands, celebrated, and gotten gotten hurt. Right. Yeah. Listen, and baseball's in an interesting it. spot right now. It is. It really is. Um, Jones <laughs> had a line the other day. Baseball's like Al Sharpton. Uh, looks like it's dead, but is really quite functional. Uh, baseball generates $10 billion a year in annual yeah. revenue. What's the NFL? 14. And, and I, I think baseball's a niche sport. Um, in yeah, many it, ways, it, a regional sport, but it's the ratings, NBA's not generating $10 billion right. a year. Baseball's ratings in, it, it, you want to say it's niche. Okay. That's fine. But it isn't. It isn't. It, it is World no, baseball classic ratings have been great. It is no longer a national in the United States, the thing it used to be. But go down and drill down in the local markets, and it dominates, dominates local markets. And, and baseball still does a terrific job with that. And so, yes, is the sport evolving? That's why I think the World Baseball Classic is even more important than it looks like. Not only do you have players, and like, like I said before the break, it's coming back in 2026. That was literally just moments ago officially announced players would have rioted if it wasn't they Correct. love they this love and here's they the thing that, that baseball needs to lean into uh is is baseball the popular sport that it that it was 50 60 years ago in the united states no not in the same fashion no not relative to the nfl and, and it's, it's not and but it's relative not to everything else it is it's it's healthy it's fine but here's the thing any any and i am i am i am oversimplifying but in other countries and now by the way the world baseball class is expanded to a bunch of countries you had great britain you had the czech republic i mean you you have co- countries that like they play baseball there I'm like well not very well just yet but yes and this is what happened when the dream team exactly. in basketball that. did that uh, and, and this a little is more than 30 years ago. this is what and, and and i'm not really surprised what's the most popular sport in say europe soccer oh sure what do americans tend to say about soccer it's slow it's boring not the scoring right Hmm. So I wonder if if the pace of soccer and the low scoring and that doesn't if that seems to be appealing, baseball's comparative pace actually doesn't seem boring. And now, as you well, see baseball grow, got, it's the pace of the game that they are endeavoring to change. The length of ball games, if you've got it action, it's, yeah. I don't care, and I don't think fans do. No. Whether it's a I want to get rid of the two and a half time. hour game, a three-hour game, or a three-and-a-half-hour game. You just have to get the dead spots out of it and yeah. more action into it. And that simply it. means get balls in play, and that's what baseball's trying to change now. And with stolen the, bases. I, and stolen I don't bases. think it'll be the same during the regular season as it has been during uh, spring training, and yet I think there'll be more action on the base pass, the kind of action that those of us of a certain generation got quite used to. Growing up, Maury Wills, I, Ricky Henderson. I would argue, I, I've made this argument Brock. forever. I, the two most exciting plays in baseball are steals and triples. And triples. By yeah. far. Oh, yeah. There's no comparison. Because there's base running Every, Everybody involved. stands oh. up and you're making a deep breath. Is he going to get there? Is he not going to get runs, there? Home runs are nice. They're fun. But there's no base running involved. Yeah, there's that momentary. Doubles and triples. It's like Especially at a, triples, yeah. there's base running involved. That's a scale. A home run's like looking at a, a firework. Okay. Ooh, that's that was cool. But and now it's over. You had the, these games where all you saw 
were home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Right. Yep. And you go true outcomes, ten to say. fifteen minutes without anything else happening between an actual moment of action in a baseball game in real time. I'm saying in real time, ten or fifteen minutes, and the, these true outcomes drain all the drama from the game. And you're saying earlier taken merely as an entertainment device. Right. You'd take the World Baseball Classic over the World Series. I would today. But the World Series is different because in the minds of most people, the team that wins the World Series is the best team in the world. But when you analyze the quality of play in the World Baseball Classic, the games are more exciting. And the intensity more rich. is unmatched. They're as intense as a World Series game is nowadays. It has been extraordinary. And tonight, I, I just expect fireworks. I can't. I'm, I personally. Well, it's kind of an empty I night. I can't wait to see it. It's kind of an empty night. It is night. locally. Locally. Uh, Nuggets don't play. Avs don't play. U.S. versus Japan tonight. First pitch at. 5 p.m. FS1. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, and as Angels points FS1's out, FS1's done a nice job yeah. with it too. Either Mike Trout or Shohei Otani's going to win something. Thanks to Zach Seegers from Miami. They won't Sports. win much with the Angels uh, as long no, as they're there. No. Thanks uh, <laughs> to Zach Seegers for joining us. Filling us in on everything CU, of course. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth with the audio. Andrew Denver on the video. You can always check all of it at MileHighSports.com or on the free Mile High Sports app. Looking forward to catching up with you tomorrow as well. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you'd like it. S-D-R-O-T-A-R. We're going to hand things off uh, to our friends on Afternoon Drive. Cody Rourke and uh, fellow Mets fan with Sandy Clough, Anilo Piro. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow right here on Mile High Sports.